Central Church podcast. To learn more about Central Church, including our gathering times, visit us online at centralsanford.net. Today's talk comes from Pastor Alan Brumbach. Turn to Psalm 50. Psalm 50 is where we're going to be. God is good. And all the time. Let's stand as we read God's Word. Psalm 50, we're going to begin in verse number 1. Psalm 50, verse number 1. And welcome to all of you watching online. And if you are in Guam right now, we'll baptize you as well. The Bible says, The mighty one, God, the Lord, speaks and summons the earth. From the rising of the sun to its setting, out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes. He does not keep silent. Before him is a devouring fire, around him a mighty tempest. He calls to the heavens above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me my faithful ones who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your fold. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. And perform your vows to the Most High. And call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. Verse 22. Mark this, then, you who forget God, lest I tear you apart and there be none to deliver. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. You may be seated. How many of you remember the Energizer Bunny? If you don't remember him, it was a commercial that was done by Energizer Batteries. It was of a pink furry drum playing bunny with blue flip-flops on and shades. And the tagline was, it keeps... Going and going and going. Now, that is a tagline that has been around for a long time. Even maybe some of you have quoted it in your own personal lives. Well, the reason that they did this slogan is to sell batteries, but also to get this idea, this concept that Energizer batteries never run down and never run out. As a matter of fact, uh, you may not know this, but Energizer batteries did set the Guinness World Record on the longest-lasting battery with their ultimate lithium AA batteries. So it's not just a slogan. But here's the thing about batteries. Eventually in time, even Energizer batteries run out often at 2 a.m. in your smoke detector. Amen? (laughs) Now, the reason why we're attracted to this idea is that humanity has longed for perpetual, self-sustaining, never-ending energy. But yet we are incapable and unable to ever achieve it. But yet this morning, what I want you to hear is that there is a God who neither slumbers nor sleeps, who neither loses energy, cannot lose any power, whose love never fails, never gives up, and never runs out. Today we worship the God who is self-sufficient. Psalm 50, as we're going through this summer series on awesome God, we're looking at psalms that show the glorious awesomeness of his 
greatness. And Psalm 50 is a worship song. It was written for God's people to listen to, to think about, and to contemplate as they particularly think of the self-sufficiency of God. What we learned this morning is that that God is self-sufficient, and that self-sufficiency is what we call, what theologians call, an incommunicable attribute. An incommunicable attribute are those attributes of God that make God uniquely God. It is those attributes of God that are unlike us. And so God is totally self-sufficient and God is totally self-existent. And in this psalm, the psalm that we've just read, the psalmist is giving to God's people a little dose of reality when it comes to God's nature and when it comes to his self-sufficiency and when it comes to our insufficiency. And so what we learn is this, that God does not need us or anything from us, yet he wants to help us in our need because... He loves us. So let's look here at this text. The first thing I want you to see is the indictment. Verses 1 through 6, we see here that the psalmist is, is invoking to us who it is that is speaking here. He, he uses a unique phrase, El Elohim Yahweh. It is the only other time that is mentioned in the Old Testament outside of Joshua chapter 22, verse 22. And here it can be translated the mighty one, the many in one, the three in one, or it can even be translated the self-existent one. Here is who is speaking. Is He is the one who is summoning and speaking to the earth. God here in this psalm is calling all the earth into judgment. He has issued a subpoena for his people to stand before him. The psalmist here wants us to envision the entire earth called to stand before our awesome God. Now, this is not just another case or episode of law and order. What happens with us is typically when we read Scripture, we tend to bring God down to our level and make Him like us. But yet the psalmist here is using language to invoke reverence and awe before an almighty God. Now, here the people of God are brought to stand before God in, in, in judgment. And, and I don't know if you've ever stood before a judge here on earth. A few years ago, a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, I once stood before a judge for a speeding ticket. And I remember the angst and the anxiety and the fear and the trembling. And I was afraid, am I going to say the right word or the wrong word? Because I was afraid that maybe for some reason I may look at them funny and they may put me in jail. And I want you to imagine here in this moment, standing before the perfection of beauty, the all-consuming fire with a mighty whirlwind surrounding him. He is the judge of all the earth. That's what verses 1 through 6 invoke. But then we get to verse 7 and we get to God's indictment. What does God want to say to his people? He says in verse number 7, Hear, O my people, and I will testify against you. God here is both the judge and the star witness against his own people. What was their crime? Well, as you read the text, you'll see that the crime was not a lack of religion. The crime was not a lack of rituals or a lack of obedience or even a lack of sacrifice. The indictment that God has against his people was a lack of heartfelt, grateful worship to God. His indictment was that they didn't have a lack of religion, but they had a a lot of superficial, misguided religion. 
He says, it's not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. See, the Old Testament prescribed a way for God's people to worship him. That worship was done through the sacrificing of bulls and goats in the temple. Every day, all day long, the people of God, the priests of God, would render up sacrifices to God as a form of worship. They were sacrifices in which these animals were slain and killed, and and the blood was poured out because it was a picture of something that was to come. And somehow along the way, God's people, as they were worshiping God, they started to get the idea that God needed their worship in some way. They they thought that as they were coming to the temple with their sacrifices, they thought that they were doing God a favor by sacrificing to him. They thought in their minds that God needed these sacrifices and their offerings. And sometimes we get this same idea as well. The indictment here that God says is it's not that you have a lack of worship. The issue is, is that when you come to me, you think you're doing me a favor. Sometimes we get the idea in our minds that God needs us. Sometimes we think that when we come to church or when we read our Bible or when we pray or sing a song or share the gospel, that God is the one who needs us to do that. But the truth of this text is that God does not need us at all. We desperately need him. Verses 10 through 13, very familiar scriptures. God here gives his people a dose of reality. He says in verse 13, he says that if I were hungry... I wouldn't tell you. Let me read this again. He says in verse number 12, not 13. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. In other words, I don't get hungry because if I got hungry, that would be a need. And I'm God and I don't have any needs. But, But if I did get hungry, I wouldn't come to ask you for any food. The reason why is because God says that I own every fridge and every pantry in the universe. God owns every grocery store, every Walmart, every Sam's Club, every Costco. He owns every Longhorn Steakhouse. He even owns Chick-fil-A. You say, how is that true? Well, he says he owns every beast in the field and a cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the cows that say eat more chicken. And he owns the hills too. What do we learn from these verses? Well, here's what we learn from these verses. God is the only self-contained source of perpetual and perfect sustenance. God is creator and sustainer of all things and is created and sustained by no one. He never has a need and yet he is needed by all yet needful of nothing. Scholars say that this is his aseity or his self-existence. That is that God owes his existence and completeness as God to nothing outside of himself. God is an independent contractor. He is independent of anything outside of himself. There is nothing that you and I can do to add to God or take from God. God did not create humanity out of a great need. God wasn't sitting in heaven saying, I'm lonely, I'm bored, and I'm sad. I want to make humans in my image so that I'll have a friend. God did not have a human-shaped hole in his transcendent heart. R.C. Sproul says that God alone is self-existent. God is the only one who can say, I am who I am. The grand difference between between a human being and a supreme being is precisely this. Apart from God, I cannot exist. 
But apart from me, God does exist. God does not need me in order for him to be. I do need God in order for me to be. Jen Wilkins, in her book, None Like Him, says that if God needed anything at all outside of himself, he would be capable of being controlled by that need. A need is a limit. God has no limits because he needs nothing outside of himself. He cannot be controlled or coerced, manipulated, blackmailed by another to possess what he needs. Now, here's what I want you to think about that. If you have a need, then you can be controlled. If you have a need, then you can be manipulated. You think about this. Just to, I feel like I've been everywhere here lately, but just imagine if you are hungry and you have passed a security gate at an airport. When you are on the other side of the TSA line, when you've gone through every danger, toil, and snare to get through there, and you've taken your shoes off, gone through the metal detectors, taken all the stuff out of your bag, and you've gone through all of that stuff that they make you do. You get to the other side, and there is all these restaurants. Those restaurants can charge you whatever they want. So when you get to this position where you are hungry, you will pay $20 for a hamburger and french fries that cost them a dollar because you're hungry. When you have a need, you can be manipulated by that need. If you're out in the desert, out in the west, far west, and you are driving your car and you run out of gas, they can charge you whatever they want for gas because you have a need and you can be manipulated by that need. Well, what you have to understand is that God has no needs. As Pastor Craig shared last week, he is limitless. So that's why the writer James says in James chapter 1 verse 13 that God cannot be tempted by evil. You cannot tempt God. Why? Because what are you going to tempt God with? There's nothing that you have or ever will have that he will ever need. You don't have anything that he wants that he doesn't already have. Remember, he says, I, every beast of the field is mine. All those goats, all those bulls that you're sacrificing to me, I own them before you gave them to me. I mean, you think about this. You say, you know what, God, what if I gave you a million dollars? If I give you a million dollars, God, would you do this for me? And God says, you're foolish. I don't need that. I don't need your money. Paul on Mars Hill said to the group of Athenians there, he says, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So what does this mean? Why, why am I so passionate about this? And why is it that God is so passionate about this? Here's what's going to help you hack it tomorrow. Your obedience, my obedience, our goodness, our faithfulness, our good scores, our giving, our service cannot and do not manipulate God in giving us what we want. There, there is no carrot with God, and there is no stick with God. God is not a genie in a bottle that if you rub him the right way, you get what you want. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need anything from you, and he can live perfectly fine without you. So how is this practical? Because how many of us... When we have a need, when we have a want, we think that if we can just go to church more or be in God's word more or pray more, that God will give us what we want 
because we've done what we think he wants. Or we do what we think he needs. That's the indictment of God here. And that is what superstition is. That's what paganism is. That's what the pagans do, is they try to butter their God up. That's why they serve constantly Buddha, all this food and, and all these other countries. That's why they're singing the Hare Krishna on and on and on. And, and, and these Hindu nations is because they think that by doing these things, they're pleasing their God and they're doing God a favor so that he'll scratch their back because they scratched his back. And that gets me to the second point here. We not only see the indictment, but I want you to see the illusion. God says here, his prescription is offer to God, offer to me a sacrifice of thanksgiving. In other words, he says, instead of thinking that you're doing God a favor by serving and sacrificing to him, be grateful to God that you get to know and serve him. See yourselves in light of who God is. God doesn't need anything from me, but I need everything from him. Now, I can dare say that we will all leave here and say, amen. This is a truth that is easy to understand but it's also easy to forget. Sadly, this is where the brass tacks is. We live our lives as if we're self-sufficient. We live our lives as if we need nothing like God. And you say, well, how is that true? How many of you really enjoy asking people for help? You know, most people, especially men, it is Father's Day. So I guess I should have something about fathers on Father's Day. Most men don't like to ask for help, nor do they like to ask for directions. <laughs> Self-sufficiency and independence are seen as virtues in American culture. As a matter of fact, we tend to stay away from needy people. How many of you say, stay away from that guy. Every time he sees you, he wants something. We never in our minds want to be perceived as needy or being weak. We, we want to have this persona non grata that we have it all figured out. But I want you to understand, that's an illusion. Do you understand that you were created by God to be needy? Being needy is not a sin. Do you know that before the fall, before sin entered into this world, Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve had needs? They, they needed air to breathe. Don't you just think that before the fall that they didn't breathe? They needed food to eat. They needed water to drink. They needed the sun to shine. They needed sleep at night, and they needed a friend to share life with. But what sin does, sin causes us to be blind to our neediness and to believe we have no needs. See, the lie of Satan in the garden, if you remember in Genesis chapter 3, was that if you do your own thing your way, then you'll be like God. But the opposite actually happened. Humanity did not become less needy but more needy because of sin. So all of us as fallen sinners, all of you in this room and all of you watching online, struggle with the illusion of self-sufficiency, thinking that we don't need God or we don't need anyone else. And when you and I deny our need for God, we stop relying on God and it reveals itself in our lives. Just as it did for God's people in Psalm 50, even those who call themselves Christians can be deceived into the idolatry of self-worship. Think about this. These believers went from the thought of sacrificing 
for their, uh, sacrificing for their sins out of an infinite need. So they were sacrificing to God. They were worshiping God through sacrifices because they knew that they had an infinite need before God. But yet they went from worshiping God out of an infinite need to thinking that their sacrifices were providing for his needs. And God says, do you, do you all think that I eat the flesh of bulls? Do you all think I love to eat steak? Do you all think I drink the goats, uh, the blood of goats? Those, that question in verse 13 was a rhetorical question. It's where God makes it clear that he neither eats nor is satisfied with them a part of a sincere commitment and thanksgiving from their heart. God says, you have to understand, you're not doing me a favor. I'm doing you a favor. Be thankful. You say, well, I'm not self-sufficient. I struggle. Well, let me give you some signs of self-sufficiency. The first one, which is obvious in the text, is thanklessness. See, if you see yourself as the source of what you need, then the only person you thank is yourself. You sing that wonderful song. It's okay if you say you're welcome. You're welcome. I mean, you're the type of person that can strut sitting down. You thank yourself all the time. But a mark of a true believer is one who understands the reality that they are to be constantly living a life of gratitude. I mean, how grateful are we? Many of us are grumbly hateful rather than humbly grateful. G.K. Chesterton said that thanks for the highest form of thought and gratitude is happiness doubled by wonder. Have you ever just sat down and said, God, how are you this good to me? Like, How? Like, God, why would you ever give me what you've given me? Why would you ever do what you've done? And some of you say, you know what, Pastor? I've gone through hell and back, and it's hard for me to be thankful to God. Are you still alive? And if you died today, would you go to heaven? Thank God. But signs of self-sufficiency are thanklessness. Secondly, prayerlessness. We only pray as often as we feel we need to pray. And if you and I think that we have things under control, we do not pray. And see, what, what we tend to do is we tend to give ourselves too much credit as being the ultimate provider of our lives rather than having an ongoing conversation with the only true, true provider who is God. Listen, how many of you have had a real, really difficult situation in your life and you just prayed all the time? You don't have to raise your hand, but have you ever done that? You're in a situation and you pray, 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 pray. Why do you pray? Because in that moment, you realize you're out of control and you're, trusting the one who, you're trying to trust the one who is in control. In that moment, you see your great need. Now, if you're here in this room and you struggle with prayer, you're watching online and you struggle with prayer, like you said, man, Pastor, I just can't pray. I don't have time to pray. I don't make it a priority. The issue isn't God. The issue is you. And you don't think you need God. And that's why you don't pray to God. Because you know in those moments in your life where you saw your need for God, you have no problems praying. But it's in those moments where you don't see your need for God is that you find yourself not praying, and that's a sign of self-sufficiency. Third, forgetfulness. Like Israel, we forget the past provisions of God. We forget how God came through in the past to protect us. We trust in ourselves to create our own future rather than God. And so what we do is we try to manipulate situations or we get anxious and worry over issues because we ultimately think that life and everything in it is up to us. We wouldn't say this out loud, but we think it in our heart that if it's going to be, it's up to me. And so we're constantly worried, constantly anxious. 
constantly upset. It's a sign of self-sufficiency. Fourth, avoidance. We don't believe we need help from God. We don't believe we need help from anyone else. So we make no place in our lives for being in God's word or being around God's people. We make no place in our lives for developing deep, authentic relationships with other believers. We don't want to be vulnerable with anybody. We don't want anyone to hold us accountable, a sign of self-sufficiency. You say, you know, Pastor, I just don't want to be in a small group. I just don't want to have other believers in my life. I just don't want to do that. I don't like it. It's uncomfortable. It's a sign of self-sufficiency. Someone that refuses to be accountable, someone that refuses to be in community, is telling me someone that is, the last one, arrogant. Arrogance. We never see ourselves as being in need or having any issues. We blame everyone else for any issues that we have, and we struggle, and we never want to admit our own failures or shortcomings. And some of you are going to come to church this morning, you're going to listen to this sermon, and you're going to think of other people's problems. And you're going to say to yourself, man, I wish such and such was here. If they would have just heard this sermon on self-sufficiency, they would get right with God. I want you to understand that we're, we're deceived. All of us, even the preacher, is deceived. We're so ignorant of our needs. Do you understand that we are so needy, we don't even know how much we need God? We have no idea how much God does for us. God, Piper says, is doing 10,000 things in and around us in our lives, and we may only be aware of three or four of them. And yet we act like ungrateful fools because we think that we're self-sufficient and independent from God. So we see the indictment. You, you guys are acting like you're doing me a favor, but you don't understand who I am. And the reason you do that is because you are deceived. You think that I need you. I don't need you. I don't need anybody. Now, if we just read the text there and left it, that would be pretty depressing, right? All right, well, the preacher said, God doesn't need me, and I'm crazy, and I, I'm deceived, and I'm a fool, and I'm living my own life for myself, and, and so God says he doesn't need me, and if this is the way it is, then he's just going to turn me into a crispy critter because he doesn't really need me. What do I do with that? I'll give you the last point. And I want you to hear the invitation of God to call him. What does he say in verse 14? In verse 14, he says, Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Perform your vows to the Most High. Verse 15, Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I'll deliver you, and you shall glorify me. After God indicts his people for their ignorance of his self-sufficiency and the illusions of thinking they are self-sufficient, he tells those who come to him to call him when they're in need. I kind of paraphrase this. This is the Allen version. Those who gratefully see their need for me are free to call me any time, day or night. Now, here's what you have to understand about God. God doesn't waste his words. We waste our words. How many wasted words do you think you say in a day? Think about that. God is a God of his word. He stands by his word. He doesn't just throw them away. I mean, how many times have you come up to somebody and said, hey, 
if I can do anything to help, just let me know. And you say that often because either A, you know they'll never ask you for help, or B, you know they know you don't mean it. But God says, hey, if you're ever in trouble, just call me. And he says, I will deliver you. I will rescue you. I will provide for you. I will be there for you. I will help you in time of need. Listen, understand this. God is not turned off by your neediness. He's turned off by our neediness. He says, as a matter of fact, he says, a broken and contrite heart, I will not turn away. God is a God who wants us to come to him and express our need to him. But you have to understand this. You will only come to him for help when you see your need for his help. See, until you see that you actually need him, you're just going to continue trying to white-knuckle life. You're just going to continue maybe even doing the religious thing of sacrifice and obedience. And you may think that God helps those that helps themselves. But here's what he's saying. He says, you just call me and I'll be there. Verse 23, he says, to the one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice, that's the one who glories, glorifies me. As Pastor Mike a few weeks ago talked about in Romans 12, that God wants a living sacrifice. Well, what does that mean? I mean, what good is a dead sacrifice? Can a goat glorify God? Can a bull bless his name? God doesn't need goats, and he doesn't need bulls. He deserves glory. And so what he wants is a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Well, what does that mean? It means that God wants more than your sacrifice, and God wants more than your obedience. What God requires is surrender. Surrender comes when we realize that everything we have, everything we can do, and everything we ever can be or will be comes from Him. And so our response is we surrender. J.D. Greer on this, he says, surrender is different than sacrifice. You can make a big sacrifice and still try to be in control. Surrender is even different than obedience. You can obey the laws of God without being surrendered to God. Surrender is a blank check without restrictions. It's saying to God, all I have, all I am, all I ever hope to be is from you and I offer it back to you. See, God wants us to surrender the illusion of our self-sufficiency and to trust in him completely who is self-sufficient. Sometimes God's ways are different than your ways. And God says here, to the one who comes to me, with a sacrifice of thanksgiving, will glorify me. He says, offer to me a sacrifice of thanksgiving, and I will deliver you. Call to me, and I will deliver you. But sometimes God's way of deliverance is not the way we think it should be. But it'll always be what is right. Verse 23, he says, If you, to the one who glorifies me by offering me the sacrifice of thanksgiving, I will show you the way of salvation. Remember, he says, you call to me and I'll deliver you. I will show you the way of salvation. And the way of salvation that God provided is different. Because he provided a salvation in Jesus. Now, stay with me and don't leave. This is so important, what I'm about to say. I want you to think about Jesus for a moment. Jesus came to this world 
He took upon flesh. He lived the human experience. You think about that. No other God have I but thee. And in his human experience, he experienced the full range of human needs. He's God. And yet he knows what it means to be hungry, to be thirsty, to be lonely, to be tired, to be cold, to be hot. Jesus came to be with us to experience our neediness so that he can deliver us from our neediness. Jen Wilkins in her book talks about how Jesus, when he performed miracles, think about the different miracles. Those miracles met human needs that pointed to our ultimate need. She says this, in meeting physical needs, Jesus was pointing us to our, to our far greater spiritual needs. In his greatest hour of physical need, he met our greatest spiritual need by dying in our place. By the punishment that was upon him, we are fed with the bread of life. Healed from the sickness of sin. Resurrected from spiritual death and restored to peace with God. Jesus Christ met our greatest need at the cross. And he dealt with our need once and for all. And here's the logic in this. Is everybody with me? If he, oh, my stars. This is a word for some of you this morning. This just is. If he can take care of your greatest need, salvation, will he not also take care of your lesser needs? One of my favorite verses is Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? I want you to think about that. Just take a second and just think about that. What do you need right now that you really, truly need? Whatever that is, if God will take care of your greatest needs, will you trust him for your lesser needs? Let me end. Let me end with this. God does not need us or anything from us. And yet he wants to help us in our need because he loves us. All God wants from you this morning is to surrender with open hands and an open heart. He wants you this morning to, to admit your insufficiency and run to his ultimate sufficiency. And for some of you, that may mean letting go of your pride, leaving what is comfortable, Ending a sinful relationship, confessing a hidden sin, or taking a step of faith. For some of you, that step of faith may be salvation, that you need to come to Jesus and ask him to forgive you your sins and save you. It's not just praying some prayer, it's surrender. For some of you, maybe baptism, as we're going to celebrate this Sunday and next Sunday, baptisms of people who have said, I've surrendered to Jesus and I want to share it with the world. Some of you, it may be in small groups, being involved in community. For some of you, it may be surrendering your life to full-time gospel ministry. Some of you are being called by God to serve him full-time vocationally, and you're holding back because you're not surrendered. 
just don't be hard-headed. The first beatitude is Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? For theirs is the kingdom of God. You need God more than you can imagine. And asking God for help is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of wisdom and strength. And here's the good news. If you call out to him, he will deliver you. The great theologian James Taylor wrote a song called You've Got a Friend. And it goes like this. When you're down and troubled and you need some loving care and nothing, no, nothing is going right. Close your eyes and think of me and soon I'll be there to brighten up even your darkest night. You just call out my name and you know wherever I am I'll come running, oh yeah, to see you again. Winter, spring, summer, or fall, all you have to do is call, and I'll be there, yes, I will, because you've got a friend, and his name is Jesus. So here's what I want to say. If you need Jesus, he's here today. If you need him for salvation, he's here today. If you need him in life, he's here today. So I'm just going to call you this morning. If you need him, come to this altar. Just get down on your knees and come before him. You say, I can't do that, Pastor. Then you get on your knees before God in your pew. Or just cry out to him today. If you're here and you need to trust Jesus as your Savior, there's no greater day. Just call out his name. Father, in Jesus' name. I pray that your Holy Spirit will do a work that I could not do. Father, that you would call sinners to yourself. Father, that your Holy Spirit would move. And God, if there's someone here, and I know there's someone here watching online that needs to trust you as Savior today, God, I pray that right now they would call unto you and they would say a prayer like this, Father, I am a sinner. I'm not enough. I can't save myself. But Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose from the dead. And so today, I surrender my life to you, Jesus. Save me, Jesus. Father, I pray that someone here in this room or online prayed that prayer this morning. And Father, that they would have the boldness to share it today. So, Father, I just pray that they would share it today through online texting or through texting in this room or through coming down or going to our next steps room. But Lord, let it be known today. Father, move in a mighty way. Thank you again for listening to the Central Church Podcast. For more information on how to take your next step, visit us online at centralsanford.net.